an interesting day because it's New Year's Eve, and, you know, I wanted to talk about something that, that's pertinent to us, and I thought, you know, well, should I talk about making New Year's res- resolutions, or what should we do? And, and really what I want to talk to you today about is uh, starting the New Year right, and so there's two parts to this. It's kind of like the introductory, uh, where I talk about learning Jesus, but then I get into my main text, which is going to be in um, in First Peter chapter two. So bear with me as I trundle through this. And actually, a subtitle to this could be very easily "Substitute for our sins, Shepherd of our souls, Jesus Christ." Okay. So let me read to you uh, Ephesians chapter four verse 20 and 21, to talk a little bit about learning Jesus, and then we're open in a word of prayer. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we come to these two texts, uh, one from Ephesians and the other from Peter, We pray that you'd open up the eyes of our understanding of hearts, that we might be able to um, receive from your word today a message from you. And Lord, it'll be different for each person, because we're all different. We're all at different points in our lives. But Lord, I pray that it it is something that would come through your word today that would help us to start well this new year that we're going into. And so, Lord, uh, we just commit our time into your hands, and we um, just trust you to do your work in our hearts. Thank you for hearing our prayer now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'd like to remind everyone this morning as we contemplate going into 2024 that Christ is everything. Okay? Just say that after me, would you please? Christ is everything. Okay? And... We need to understand that. Christ is everything. As we blindly enter the new year, uh, many are fearful, okay? And as we look at things and how out of sync everything is, um, it it can bring fear into our lives. But I want you to remember our rock is Jesus Christ. It's, It's why we preach him and teach him here at Beacon of Hope. Because there is no security or safety or, or any type of peace outside of Jesus Christ. Now, the world will be able to see that when he rules with a rod of iron. But right now, he's, he's not doing that. He's ruling in the hearts of individuals that have opened up and received him as their Lord and Savior. And, and Paul is telling the Ephesian church here, you didn't learn Jesus Christ in this way if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus Christ. Now what he's doing is he's, he's comparing the Christian life to the life of the Gentile or the Gentile lifestyle. And you can see that categoried for you in verses 17 through 19 of this this passage here. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Gentiles in this context for us would be non-believers, those that don't know Christ personally yet. And he says, don't walk like they do because 
First of all, they walk in the futility of their mind. And then in verse 18, it says, being darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, you need to be proud of your pastor because I'm not going to preach on that this morning. And as I'm looking through that, I'm just thinking, boy, I, I could go for a long time with those verses. But see, that, that's the life of the unbeliever. Uh, earlier in Ephesians, Paul says that they live in the world without God and without hope. Without God and without hope. That is a dismal existence, friends. And they try to find some way to assuage or, or, or solve or salve that, that sense of disconnectedness, that sense of loneliness, that sense of turmoil, okay? Living in quiet desperation, one writer once wrote. And, and all other ways except Christ come up zero. It just doesn't work. Now, the radical transformation that takes place in the life of a regenerate person, one who has truly believed and has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, is shown by three very clear experiences. Because he is the end of the reward. Christ is the end of the reward. He is everything, as I said. Beloved, we are God's children now, John said, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but... We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is, 1 John 3, 2. Now, there's a lot of time tenses there. (laughs) It says, okay, we will be like he is. We are the children of God now. It has not yet appeared what we will be like, but when he appears, we will be like he is. Wow. That's a lot there, and it's a lot of good news, okay, for us. So that's why we study the Bible, and that's why I preach Christ. Every Sunday, I try to bring Christ to bear to you. It says that there's three areas here that you have not learned Christ. If you, if you just look at that, it says in verse 20, you have not learned Christ in this way. And, and then in 21, it says, um, you have heard him and you have been taught in him. Okay? There's three major verbs there. And you have not learned him. When we hear that, we think of school. You know, we learn subjects or skills. But learning a person? Yeah, that's what Paul's talking about. You have not learned Christ. These three verbs are important, learning him and hearing him and being taught in him. It says, you did not learn him. You most certainly learned Christ. It's a little grammatical thing that Paul is using here. It's like he says, you didn't learn him, which is really to say, you did learn him. (laughs) Okay? It's very, very similar to other passages that we might know about and, and be aware of. It says, if you have indeed heard him, if you have indeed heard him. Not only did they learn Christ, but they had heard him. Now, this is weird, right? Because 
the Ephesian believers lived a long ways from where Jesus was when he was on earth. And Paul's writing to them a long time after Jesus had already ascended and went back to heaven. What is he saying? You have heard him. And this is, this is part that I want you to listen to. There's no preposition in the Greek here to warrant adding, you have heard about Christ. It's not you have heard about him. You have heard him. It's a very important distinction here. The idea that Paul is communicating here is that even though believers were being instructed by Christian teachers, they were hearing Christ. And you today, right now, are hearing Christ through me. That's a daunting prospect for me. <laughs> but it also, you have responsibility yourselves. Because you're not just listening to some guy up here talking that might mispronounce a word or what. So what? Are you listening to Christ? Because that's what we, as preachers, are attempting to do, is to speak to you the word of God. So important. Whenever sound biblical instruction is given, it can be said that Christ is teaching Christ. Christ is teaching Christ. The instructor's words are merely Christ teaching through them, and the subject being taught is Christ. Remember, he's everything, right? In Acts 5.42, it says, And daily in the temple in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. In Luke 10, when Jesus sent out the 70, he said this, The one who listens to you listens to me. Those are Jesus' words, telling the 70 that he sent out to evangelize. And over in Acts 17.3, it says, And that this Jesus whom I preach unto you, is Christ. He's the Messiah. And then one last one in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. So in Ephesians 4, he's talking about learning Christ. We learn a person. It says, but you have not only learned him, and you've not only heard of him, but you are taught in him as well. Paul reminds the believers that they had been taught in Christ. Jesus Christ, get this, is the teacher. He is the teaching, and he is the context. Another way to say it is, he's the subject, he's the object, and he's the environment. He's everything. And, and for us to come to church and just kind of ho-hum and wait for the game to start up, you're missing it. I'm sorry, you're missing it. Or if you're picking apart the pastor and his speaking abilities and so forth, you're missing it. You need to tune your ears to Christ. What is Christ trying to tell you this morning? It's very important. Now for our text this morning that I want to preach on is 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to start in verse 18 and just read a little bit for you but I'll be focusing on just a couple of verses. So in verse 18, it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, for if the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, when you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, 
this finds favor with God. Now, just one comment there. Suffering for doing what is right and enduring it brings glory to God, okay? You can take this all the way from driving to persecution, okay? I haven't made it past the driving part yet. So I'm praying that I I can get this under my belt before persecution hits the church. Verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose. Well, thanks. We've been called to suffer? Yeah. You've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, Jesus didn't, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Think of the martyrs burned at the stake, saying, I'm coming, Lord. Please don't hold this against them. Please watch after my family and children. (laughs) They knew, they understood. And they were enduring that and not succumbing to it, but they were entrusting themselves to him who judges righteously. And then verse 24 and verse 25, and this is what I want to bear down on. And he himself, Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So I want to talk about first how Jesus Christ is the substitute for our sins. The substitute for our sins. This is the the plainest language in the Bible that you could ever hope for. We should have no difficulty understanding the concept taught in 1 Peter uh, verse 24, chapter 2. Just look at the language. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. There's a, uh, there's a contrast there. It's, it's our sins that he bore in his body. There's a transference taking place here. Uh, to bear something means to, to place a load on oneself and to, to bear up under that load. Jesus did that with your sins. Each one of us, okay? When I say you, there's three coming back at me. My sins as well. And yes, I am a sinner. I am most certainly a sinner. Now that's the way the burden of our sin is lifted off of us and borne away by another. I love the fact that we need a savior. We need somebody outside of ourselves to save us. Why? Because we're helpless. We can't do it on our own. We need someone else. And Jesus Christ himself bore our sins in his own body. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners and sinning, Christ died for us. <laughs> there it is. Christ died for us. Do you accept that? Have you received that death on your behalf? Right? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, to be sin on our behalf. It was for us. It was on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, in him. It's pretty straightforward language. I mean, I don't even have to get into the Greek or anything here. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For us. 
For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And then, of course, Ephesians 5, 2. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Wow. So it's for us. It's for our sins. There's, there's a replacement thing that takes place here. Leon Morris, who's a theologian, explains substitutional uh, death of Jesus Christ like this. So bear with me for a second. Redemption is substitutionary. For it means that Christ paid the price that we could not pay, and he paid it in our stead, and we go free. Okay? Substitution. Justification interprets our salvation judicially. These are big Asian words. I call them Asian words, right? Justification. Uh, we got redemption here, justification, sanctification, etc. So justification interprets our salvation judicially, and as the New Testament sees it, Christ took our legal liability, and he took it in our stead. You see, the wages of sin is death. Well, Christ died in our stead. He died instead of us. And that, that's the justification part. Reconciliation, another Asian word, means the making of people to be at one with taking away the cause of hostility. He's reconciled us to our creator God. Okay, He's bridged that gap that our sin caused with our creator God. And so he has satisfied. Whenever I see propitiation, I think of satisfaction. He is our propitiation. He satisfied the just demands of an all-holy God so that we get in on that by believing in him. It's reckoned to us, right? So propitiation points us to the removal of divine wrath. And Christ has done that by bearing the wrath for us. It was our sin that drew it down on him. And it was he who bore it. Now, was there a price to be paid? He paid it. Was there a victory to be won? He won it. Was there a penalty to be borne? He bore it. Was there a judgment to be faced? He faced it. And then after he was all done, he said what? It's finished. It's finished. Do you know what he means when he says it's finished? It means every sin you have ever committed, when you trust Christ to have borne your sin on your behalf, every sin you have ever committed, every sin that you're committing... And every sin that you will commit until the day you die has already been taken care of because he said, it is finished. That's salvation. That's what makes pastors crazy, right? To just shout from the pulpit, we're free. We are free. And it's for our sins. Now stop right now and listen. Don't allow yourself to get all fogged over a bunch of theological words I just ripped off, okay? Somebody came up to me the other day and said, you use such big words, forgive me for that. Please, I, I don't mean to. I want to always try to interpret and, and explain the words that I use if I use big words, but when you can go at it as long as I have, they just kind of become second nature to you. So, you know, keep telling me, tone it down, Pastor. Tone it down, need a little help here. I appreciate that. Just consider for a minute that Jesus bore your sins. That's all I'm saying. The lies that you've told, the things that you've stolen, the lusts that you've indulged, the gossip that you've carried, you fill in the blank. What is it? What sins are yours? He bore them on your behalf so that you don't have to pay the penalty for those sins. And his, his sin-bearing is literal. 
It's literal, and it's personal, and it's final, and it's successful. It's, it's literal in the sense, if my sins and my guilt are not transferred to him, and he didn't take them on himself, then they remain with me, and I'll have to face the consequences. But he did take them on. He says so repeatedly, and I've shared numerous verses where he bore our sins. So it is literal that he did it. It is not a metaphor. It's not some kind of word picture. It's he actually did it. Secondly, it's personal because it's our sins, our own sins. Very personal. It's not like the sins of the Lenetti family, of which there are many. Okay? It's not the sins of Beacon of Hope. It's the sins of you and you and you. Individual is so important. So very important. And it's final because, as I said, uh, in, in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also died for the sins once for all. One time death covered all sins. The just for the unjust. The just would be Christ. The unjust us. So that he might bring us to God. How much more plain can you get? He reconnects us with our creator. And it has eternal Effect, you will have eternal life with God in heaven forever and ever. But the time is now. The time is now to decide whether you are in or out. As I mentioned in John 19.30, it is finished. It is finished. And that's a word taken from accounting language, which means paid in full. The stamp's done. (laughs) I love getting that. You know, when you got a debt, right? And it's all done. You go to the bank and paid in full. All done. Now, it's effectual or successful. The sin bearing of Jesus Christ was successful. What he did, it's done. Daniel prophesied Jesus would come and finish the transgression and make an end of sins. You know, every once in a while, I catch myself being so caught up in the contemporary milieu that we're in right now, the contemporary atmosphere that we're in right now, I forget about eternity. Are, are you like that? You know, I forget that this is make-believe down here, man. This, everything we're seeing, this is sin-induced, okay? He's going to come and break the clouds apart, and then we're going to see what is real, what is actual, And when I think like that, I start getting excited again, okay? Because I can get down. I mean, man, don't read the news feeds, especially now. Everybody's just doomsaying it. It's, It's tough stuff out there. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And just as a scapegoat in the history of Israel symbolically had the sins of the nation placed upon it, and then it was driven outside the camp into an uninhabited land, so our sins were symbolically removed from them. But ours are truly removed forever. You know, they'd bring this goat in, uh, during the time of Israel in the wilderness, and they'd bring this goat in, and the high priest would lay his hands on it and transfer all the sins of the nation of Israel at that time on the head of this goat. 
And then they take it out and release it, and it would go away and carry all those sins away. What a picture of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's what he's done for you and for me. But see, he's not only a substitute for our sins, and I love this part, he's a guardian for our souls. Verse 25, it says that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually strained like sheep, but now, but now you have returned and a shepherd and guardian uh, to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So this is the result of his sin bearing. When he bore our sin in his own body, it changed everyone who believes in him forever. For when we believe that he affects a change in us of momentous proportions, Jesus becomes a shepherd or a guardian of our souls. We're resurrected to righteousness. That's the first thing that we see in that verse. In verse 25, it says uh, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We've been, we've been raised up to live in righteousness. What does that mean? Well, it, it, it's pretty simple, actually. It says that he plants within our very soul a new life. That's what regeneration means. He's, he's made us born again. That's what born again means. And he's planted this new force, and it's one that loves righteousness, and it hates sin. It doesn't say that we don't sin. It says we hate it when we sin. You know, Paul's plea in, in Romans chapter 7, why is it that I do what I don't want to do, and what I do want to do, I don't do? Yeah, welcome to the Christian life, Paul. Because he hates his sin now before. Before I was a believer, I didn't hate my sin. I love my sin. And so do you if you're not a believer yet. You look for ways to sin, new ways to sin, fun ways to sin. But once you believe in Jesus Christ, he plants in you a new seed and it hates sin and loves righteousness. And that starts the battle. That starts the battle in your heart. Some people say to me, oh, I just struggle so much with sin, I can't be a believer. I said, listen to me. If you're struggling with sin, that's a mark that you are a believer. Unbelievers don't struggle with sin. They might try to cover it, you know, so they don't get caught. They don't struggle with it because they like it. Be encouraged, believer. So Jesus made it so by his death that all who believe in him become separate from sin's penalty, separate from sin's guilt, and separate from sin's enslavement. What, what enslavement are you talking about? Well, the domination and the power of sin. By his death, Jesus had made believers able to live righteously. That's a big word, able there, right? It, it isn't magic. It isn't like you believe in Jesus and all of a sudden all the sin's gone, you live righteously, and, and you're like this holy person with a halo over your head and you never sin again. But now you are able to live righteously, whereas before you never were able to. You never were able to. Because you have been freed from sin, and now you've become slaves of righteousness. That's why the battle's there. You got this new life inside you that hates sin and loves righteousness, but you're living sinful. <laughs> For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Titus 2, 11 and 12, I love this. The grace of God has appeared, salvation has come, and what does it do? What does that grace do? Give us freedom to sin? No. It instructs us to 
to deny ungodliness, and it instructs us to deny worldly desires, and it instructs us to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age. Grace is not some blanket opening for you to continue to sin because I'm saved by grace. It's not by works. So if all my sins are forgiven, I'm free to sin. <laughs> Don't forget you've got a shepherd and a guardian of your soul, and he's going to come around and he's going to swat you. And I'm not talking about the swatting that's taking place in the world today, right, with the police cars coming. This is a tap on the shoulder. He'll warn us first. And if we don't repent, the tap gets a little bit harder, and you don't want him to chastise you, right? It's not out of punishment, because there is therefore now no condemnation. It's out of love and concern that you reflect Christ better than you are. And he's careful about that. And he says that we're healed. It's by his wounds that you're healed, Isaiah 1 uh, five and six sums up the whole uh, situation of the sinner. It says there, the whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. And from the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises and welts and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. But Christ, Christ healed all that, all that. And sometimes it takes a long time to get over the things that we amassed during our days without Christ. I call it a harmartiological hangover. Harmartiology is the study of sin. There's a sin hangover that follows us into our new life. And for each person, it's different. The propensities that you have in your own life, they're different. For some, it's stealing. For some, it's sexual involvement. For some, it's, it's lying. They just can't stop lying. They're saved but they catch themselves lying all the time and they just hate it and they battle against Battle on. The victory's been won and you are working from a base of victory, not a base of like, oh no, he's going to reject me. How can he reject his own son? He won't. He won't. So we've been healed. And we've also been returned from our strain. Okay? All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. You see, what we do is we try to get it together. We try to put our lives in order. We try to live what we think is a good life, and we utterly fail, and we fail, and we fail. Or what's worse, and this is really prevalent, okay, we think if we can just find a person that'll love me, everything will be fine. If I can just find that person and... People can't do this. That's, that's a wrong reason to have a relationship. People are incapable of meeting our needs. There's, like Paul said, you're living in the world with no hope and without God. What you need is to reconnect with God. So it's different for those who have repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ because now he's become the shepherd and guardian of our souls and he will guard us and shepherd us all the way to heaven. I love the testimony of the leper lady in Taliabo holding up her little hands that were all marred by leprosy saying, I don't care. You see these hands? I don't care because I have one who will lead me all the way to heaven. She understood. She totally understood. 
And he will guard us and shepherd us all the way to heaven. This is Jesus. This is he. This is who he is, actually, and what he's done. Now, I know that not everyone here today knows Christ. I mean, in a a group this big, uh, even if you've been in church for a long time, there's a possibility you don't really know him personally. And my heart's burdened there. Some are still out there like sheep, having gone astray, and each having turned to their own way, living in the world without hope and without God, and coming to church maybe every Sunday, but without hope and without God. I want to tell you something. Some don't even know Jesus as a shepherd because you're still pursuing your own way, and you don't let him shepherd and guide you. You need to allow that to take place. That's what lordship is when you make him the boss of your life. You take your hands off the reins of your own life and let him lead you each step of the way. And that's why God sent his son into the world, to seek and to save those who are lost. You're not some unique entity. Join the croup. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Happened in the garden, it was passed on from generation to generation. You are not unique. And he died for you. And he came to seek and to save those who are lost. And some right here today only wish that they had a guardian, someone to watch over them, someone to protect them, someone to have their back for them, someone to stand up for them, to fight on their behalf, to care enough to love and love enough to be a guard over their lives, right? Well, that's who Jesus is. It truly is true. That's what he does. He is a shepherd and guardian of our souls. So my advice to you this morning, if you've already made a commitment with God, you've already made your peace with him through Jesus Christ, remember what he's done for you. Okay, and start the new year well by remembering that. It's not a hard thought to remember. And if you have not yet stepped over the threshold and relinquished your life to God, you don't have to understand all of it. Don't worry about it. Just say, I want you to take over my life. I'm not doing so good. Be honest with him. He knows what you're thinking anyways. And just say, come in, take over. Take over. I give up. I'm not going to go my own way anymore. I'm going to lean on you. And pastor said that you'll be a shepherd and a guide to my soul. That's what I need. That's what I want. So will you be that for me today? You can say that in your own time because I'm going to give you a moment right now to say that while we prepare for communion. Okay, let's pray. Father, I just pray, Lord. Uh, there's some of us that need renewing. <laughs> we've, we've allowed our first love to grow cold. Maybe it's because of indulging in sin or whatever the reason, but we've let off on, on our spiritual disciplines of prayer and and reading your word, and and fellowshipping with other believers. And God, we need to be renewed. And Father, I pray today that some would come to that commitment. And also, Lord, there are some who, like I said, haven't stepped over that threshold yet of relinquishing the control of their lives to you, their creator. How how silly is that, Lord? And yet, Father, we, we are bound by that because of our sin. I pray that your Holy Spirit and the power that raised Jesus from the dead would assist those that want to make that decision and that change in their lives this morning. And so, Lord, uh, we just commit our time into your hands now. Even as we come to a time of reflection on your death, uh, Lord, 
let us also remember that you resurrected and you came back to life to live forevermore after bearing our sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.